The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. nerds discover your geeky haven with twink.com we've been delivering you the best products and all things pop culture for more than 20 years enjoy a wide selection of officially licensed merch from your favorite fandoms we carry top brands from disney funko marvel and dc star wars harry potter and much much more we also offer an array of exclusives that you won't find anywhere else with all these collectible goods you're definitely gonna need a bigger boat crisis for the geek kind Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? And welcome to another episode of GB Geeks. Uh, it's kind of an odd one for us, Eric. We're recording earlier in the week than we normally do. Just, just fine. <laughs> and normally we see each other on Wookie Radio first, not Weeby Geeks first. That's okay because I got us a cool guest. Well, actually, their PR person brought them to us, which was kind of cool uh, as we were kind of chatting up for show uh we have eben matthews from macroverse on with us how you how's everyone doing doing good i'll i'll take that uh that bark as a as a vote of uh enthusiasm so uh doing great <laughs> as the oldest dog in the house telling me that the youngest dog wants to come in from the other <laughs> room. um Very good. so before i get into Macroverse. Uh, I know Macroverse is part of a thing called Web Three. <laughs> I want. I personally do not know much about Web Three, even though I've been yeah. in the entertainment industry thirty-seven years now, which is hard for me to, to say. Thirty-seven, thirty-eight years. Yeah. What is Web Three? Well, that is a big question to unpack. Um, but I will say, you know, the thing that is attractive to us about it, or the thing that you know is why. We're enthusiastic about this particular interpretation of it is that essentially, you know, you could look at Web 1, the early days of the Internet, which, you know, we probably all remember as a uh, essentially something that was one direction. So people would post things in blogs or, you know, on portals and other people would come and read those things. So it's kind of a one way um, communication medium, one person posting, one person reading. And then, you know, what we now come to think of as Web 2 is really the social era of the Internet. So a lot more interaction, you know, two way communication, um, things like Facebook or Twitter, you know, kind of all, all of the social stuff that bring, brings with it positives and negatives. Um, and then really the core concept for Web3, as we think about it, is it's the, a, the kind of the next layer of the Internet 
which is now you're able to own things on top of that. And so, you know, the way that I like to kind of think about that is that, you know, my daughter is nine years old. She is addicted to Roblox. And when we are throwing money into the Roblox hole in the form of Robux and she wants to have the kind of butterfly wings or mermaid tails or whatever it is that she wants for the different experiences that she has in a Web2 context, those things all exist purely inside the Roblox ecosystem. She can't take them to Fortnite. She can't resell them at any point. She can't do anything with them beyond, you know, put them on in this kind of cosmetic sense in a particular experience. What Web3 technology enables is her to be able to take that and then sell it on a secondary marketplace or trade it, you know, to somebody else or even give it to somebody else. And so this ability to own digital objects is kind of this next layer that is what this technology enables. It's broadly what people kind of think of as Web3. Okay. So if you have from World of Warcraft, Minecraft. Yeah. Made up game. Yeah. The the sword, the the wand sword of flatulence. Yes. (laughs) You could then sell that from that game and potentially use it in a Star Wars, Star Trek versus xenomorph game yeah yeah i mean that's that's the theoretical that's much more you know a little more theoretical at this point kind of in the future but it's the underpinning infrastructure technology that would allow that kind of thing to happen okay. um so it's kind of being able to move things between different experiences and just broadly being able to actually own these things outside of the ecosystems that they're purchased inside of okay so derek <laughs> You, you could eventually become a Transformer in Star Wars Outlaws. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> Combine universes. Um, now, getting back to one of the main reasons why you're here. Yeah. You and Adam Martin started Macroverse. Yes. How did this project or this uh, conglomeration come about? <laughs> uh, great question. And thank you for that. So I'll give you kind of my secret origin story, which will uh, draw Adam into it. And we've got a third co-founder as well. Um, so I, you know, I'm a kid that learned to read from comics. I've been a lifelong comics fan. I thought I was going to grow, grow up to draw comics. You know, I've got my 25 long boxes of you know stuff that I've collected over the years. Um, and, you know, this is just kind of in my DNA. So when I was going even further back than that, like I went everywhere from the time I was five year old uh, dressed in a Superman costume. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they finally told me I couldn't wear that to school anymore. So, of course, I had to start wearing it under my clothes because, you know, that's what one would do to protect one's secret identity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, this, this stuff is just in my DNA. And I went to art school and I came out of art school and instead of going into drawing comics, I started a branding and media agency. So I had that for a decade. And so in in those early days of the internet, um, you know, if anyone listening remembers when Flash was taking over the web and Flash was this kind of, you know, interactive animation tool that could run on websites. And there was a little time period where like every website was animated and making, you know, music at you (laughs) and things like that. Um, And that was our sweet spot. So we made a ton of kind of interactive, high-end, you know, web development uh, projects. And that led to doing some animation with a Korean partner. We ended up making children's books for Target. And so we had this, you know, kind of cool studio where we were doing these interesting creative projects. And then Adam and I became friends now, you know, 
almost 25 years ago, which also seems crazy to say out loud. Um, he was coming up in traditional film and television, uh, we're both in Los Angeles. And so, you know, he was working uh, on the first Michael Bay Transformers movie at the time, uh, which little side note was my my first trip to a real movie set was going down oh. to downtown LA when Michael Bay had exploded half of a city block you know at least <laughs> what it looked like uh, and uh, <laughs> so we you know we became friends and you know anyone that's heard me talk about this is I, I will admit there were probably a couple of drinks involved one night when <laughs> we said you know we're both on these kind of cool career trajectories, but we're just going to be making stuff for other people for the rest of our lives. And, you know, as a kid that grew up idolizing Stanley, Walt Disney and George Lucas, like I wanted to tell my own stories. I wanted to make my own stuff. Like that's why I wanted to draw comics to begin with. And so, you know, here we are in a post nineties Hollywood where Tarantino and Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez are, you know, kind of showing what you can do as an independent you know filmmaker that can make big movies that people really resonate with and so we you know decided hey we'll just write a screenplay and become famous directors like that's our path forward here and so you know being either uh smart enough or stupid enough to think that that was what we were going to do <laughs> we did write that screenplay um we were fortunate enough to get that one option so that landed us at caa which is one of the big talent agencies you know here in los angeles um we did the water bottle tour pitching just about every production company in town uh, we had a few things that we worked on, you know, through that process. We had a TV pilot, which got literally killed by The Walking Dead, which is a whole story in and of itself. <laughs> um, and then found our way into, vid into the video game world. So we spent the next kind of decade together writing, directing and producing uh, video game content. And that led to kind of an interesting tangent back into the comics industry, where one of the things that we were early pioneers in, love them or hate them, was the early ideas around motion comics. And so being able to take illustration and animation and bring those two things together. And I think we did some of the best motion comic work that ever got done in the in the video game world. So we would go into the kind of mid-tier console game and create all this narrative content for those games. And the final piece of all this is through that process, I met the director of a movie called The Boondock Saints, and uh, it's kind of cult classic, you know, 90s movie, uh, mm -hmm. pre-Walking Dead, Norman Reedus, Sean Patrick Flannery, I actually think it's a great movie, but, um, but uh, you know, met the director of that film, and they were getting ready to make a sequel, and we pitched them on the idea of, you know, let's do a graphic novel that ties in to the movies. Like, these guys are kind of vigilante superheroes, it'd be a really fun way to expand the franchise. And that's what brought me back to comics is, you know, putting that series together. And so we produced this graphic novel series. Um, you know, it was a very interesting way to come back into the comics industry because I literally found the publisher, worked with distribution, got us into Barnes and Noble. We did the whole convention circuit, like just the whole 360 degree view of what it is to make a comic outside of Marvel and DC. Um, and so we did that and had a really great experience with it. And then as we came out of that a year later, we said, you know, comics and the rest of entertainment have just gotten closer and closer and closer together. And this would be a great way for us to tell those stories that we want to tell and to you know, make our own stuff. Um, but we also saw very clearly that if you weren't the Boondock Saints, having met a lot of other independent creators, like being an independent comics creator, 
as much as I love them, like this was not a life that we wanted to have. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, we started looking at what else could we do. And I think we were kind of in this interesting headspace of again either being brilliant or insane to go like okay the comics industry is kind of fundamentally broken in a lot of ways and what are the two things that we think you know really need to be addressed to potentially fix it one is we felt like the rest of digital the rest of media was all heading digital and comics had just refused to go digital a big piece of that is no one ever really cracked the code on what a digital comic should be so we thought number one is there a digitally native format for comics that makes sense. And, you know, we spent two years prototyping to try to figure out what that was. And I think we finally did, which we can talk about. And then the second piece, and perhaps the even more important piece is, you know, was there a business model for digital comics that would make sense for creators that could sustain a creator's, you know, livelihood and allow them to do better than they could in print? And we felt like we kind of figured out what that was. And so then we teamed up with our third co-founder, who's a guy named, named Ricky Rukavina. Um, just very quickly, Ricky started the mobile gaming division at Disney and has been in the game world for 25 years as well. And so the three of us got together and said, you know, is there a business here? And once we decided that there was, we launched this uh, mobile app initially about two and a half years ago um, and then have now you know, expanded that with a whole bunch of other stuff in the whole Web3 side of things. Um, and that's where we are. So, you know, our, our ambition is no less than to revolutionize the whole comics industry and beyond. Uh, but that's how we got here. Yeah. Okay. So a very long winded answer to that. question. No, but. No, perfect. <laughs> Great answer. Um, I know for me being a uh, an iPad user. Yeah. Um, and reading a lot on the iPad, but I'm also uh, very big on collecting Marvel totally. anyway. And with Marvel, you buy the book, you get a digital code, you get, yeah. um, do you, I know some of the more traditional comic book creators feel that digital has ruined comics or is ruining yeah. comics. How do you feel about that? So I, I think two things. One is, you know, this is kind of why, where we started this discussion is that, you know, the approach that the general industry has taken to digital is it's a physical product on a screen. So essentially a PDF on an iPad. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen what happened most lately with Comixology with, you know, Amazon purchasing them and essentially shutting them down. Um, so what was the best version of that has now been killed. <laughs> um, and, you know, the 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 thing that I always have felt as someone that has worked in the digital you know, space making games and interactive and those sorts of things for years is that, you know, it's the wrong approach to try to take a physical thing and make it digital. Like we don't read books with something that looks like a book. Like we actually have a different format for that that makes the experience better if you're reading, you know, by, uh, you know something on a Kindle or those sorts of things. So the idea of taking something that was meant to be in print and just doing a digital copy of that, you know, has never really made sense to me. And it's, it's part of why we went down this road. So we literally spent two years trying to figure this out. And what we came to is what we call a tap story. 
And you can experience that on our app right now, which is, you know, Macroverse on both of the app stores. Um, but the basic fundamental was what we always feel like, you know, you got to lean into the medium. So if you're doing something in audio, like what does audio uniquely do better than anything else? If you're doing something in animation, what is animation really good at? How do you lean into these different formats? And so when it came to digital comics, the thing we the, the light bulb moment for us was, the thing that digital can uniquely do is eliminate the page size, you know, eliminate the constraints of the canvas size. And so when you think about, you know, being able to move through a page or in this case, a sequence of images without changing the art form, I think this is a critical component. Like the art form of comics is the juxtaposition of words and images your brain filling in the gap between those things to create an experience that's greater than just the, the juxtaposition of words and images. So, you know, our way of approaching that allows you to eliminate the, the constraints of the canvas. You're not scrolling through a web page like you are in something like Webtoons. You're not flipping pages of a PDF, but instead we can play with two things that you can only do in our format. One is how does context evolve over time? So. I'll use the example, if you have two panels, imagine a panel on top, a panel on bottom, and on top you have a close-up of a character's eye, and then you tap the screen and you see a panel appear on the bottom, which is, let's say, a character's hand on the hilt of a sword uh, in their belt. And you're not sure, is this the same character or is it two different characters? And then you tap the screen again, and let's say you have the a wider shot on the top panel now of the character's face. And so you know, I can see who that character is. And you tap again and you realize that the sword is actually belonging to a separate character and you tap again and reveal that they're you know across each other from on a field of battle let's say so i'm making this up you know as we talk but we can kind of reveal things in interesting different ways you can do setup and payoff in ways that you can't do traditionally right. um we worked with a comedian who was like oh you can actually land a joke in this format because you don't see it coming <laughs> you know outside page turn uh brian michael bendis was made for our format because it doesn't matter how many word balloons you put in a on a, <laughs> on a page uh, so there are things like that that we can do better than print without trying to be a digital version of print and before mm -hmm. we go any further because as you were mentioning the app or the app is on mobile yes it is called Microverse Next Gen Comics, and I yes, just you. downloaded it for my phone and for my my iPad. Perfect. So thank you. <laughs> I will be exploring it more Please over do. the next few Absolutely. days because I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> um, so basically, yeah. in, in in many ways, what y'all are doing is taking um, Marvel's guided view option and going five steps further. Yeah, sort of. I think what Marvel, so I think, yes, it's a, it's a good way of thinking of, of it as a starting point. I think what Guided View did is mostly go like panel one, panel two, panel three, panel, you know, half of panel four. Which, <laughs> which, not... which helps, helps me because- oh, um, Tremendously. Because I have a learning disability uh, in reading, writing, auditory perception, and note, note taking. Yeah. So like I, I learn young to speed read. Mm -hmm. Because if okay, not, cool. if I read a normal book, mm -hmm. five paragraphs on the page, for instance, for example, I was, as I start reading paragraph one, I go from one to five to two to four to three. <laughs> yeah. If I read at a normal pace, mm -hmm. this is why I learned speed read the page, speed read it again, speed read it a third time for comprehension, <laughs> make sure I've comprehended everything, go on to the next page. Mm. 
So with comics, I was kind of, as a kid, I would kind of do the same thing. It's like, okay, I'm scanning more the artwork than I am the words because I'm afraid to get lost. Yeah. Eventually, I trained myself to, to read comics better. Mm-hmm. But then there were times I go back, like with Marvel Unlimited, Guided View, like, this isn't how I read the comic the first time when I owned it as a kid. <laughs> this is more the pattern. This makes yeah. more sense. Uh, so I so I like that guided view. Yeah. Um, but with what y'all are doing, this sounds like it's in many ways almost an ideal situation for someone like myself or yeah. people who may have other forms of dyslexia. Because I know mine's not considered this. Mine would probably be considered dyslexia now, but wasn't when I was diagnosed. Mm. Um, these would be tools that'd be great for that. Yeah. And, and I'm almost now wondering with what y'all are doing, is this something that y'all are also looking at maybe expanding into like the educational world with some of some of those books? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've never thought I've I've never thought of it in those terms, but I think that's actually really interesting and insightful. I think the you know, we have certainly talked about a version of this that could be more kind of kid friendly, because right now we're certainly a little more mature and a lot of the content or, you know, kind of mature, not in the um, in the uh, scandal, scandalous way, but kind of at a, uh, you know, we, we've kind of thought of ourselves at the kind of HBO, you know, kind of realm right. for a lot of the stuff that we put out. So, you know, I th- certainly think this format lends itself, you know, very well to younger readers. And I've been playing with a couple of things with my kids in that regard. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I hadn't thought about it in those terms. I think it's a great idea. Derek, yeah. I, I've dominated the interview so far. Your turn. <laughs> I, I can, you know me. I could keep going. So what 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 further plans do you have um, going forward? Um, so other than taking over the I imagine you're, uh, you're, you're, uh, yeah. So there's, there's a bunch of new stuff that we're working on. I mean, we've got about 500 episodes of content on the app right now. Um, you know, we've, we've worked with about a hundred artists and creators so far. We're bringing on more content, more creators kind of all the time. So, you know, you see a lot more new stuff continue to come out through the app. Um, with the web three side that we talked about at the beginning, we're also launching uh, a new web three platform within the next couple of months. And so that means you'll be able to do collectability on top of these different series. And so what gets pretty cool about that is it's, you know, like I said, I've got my you know 25 long boxes of traditional print comics, but now having that collector's experience uh, in a digital format, I think is going to be really exciting for people. And we've done a bunch of pretty interesting stuff around how that's packaged. And so, you know, just like with the app, like kind of rethinking the experience for what is a, you know, what is it to read and create a digital comic that's meant to be digital? We've done some, some things around that on the collectible side as well. So while we have things like, you know, different types of cover art and things like that, that, you know, I loved as a, a kid collecting comics and still runs rampant in the comics industry. <laughs> today um you know we've got that kind of those kinds of things but also you know we kind of look at these collectible editions a little bit more like i don't know if you know the criterion collection you know for dvds Mm -hmm. it's like kind of the very 
purposefully packaged kind of beautiful, you know, kind of volumes of, of material. So it's not kind of episode by episode, but rather kind of the, the hardcover collector's edition of, you know, your favorite series in this digital package, um, which means we can also add things like bonus features and, you know, special things that you wouldn't get, you know, in the traditional, uh, you know, reading experience or on the app itself. So there's some, some extra value that we think comes on the collectible side. So that's kind of the main thing that we're doing next. Um, and then beyond that, I think the, the thing that, you know, we're looking at longer term is we really think that if, you know, if we can crack this for comics, it's not that hard to start to look forward towards animation and gaming and, you know, these other kind of content areas that we have experience in as a team where, you know, I think so many of the problems that we have to solve for, for the creative community, for the, you know, the, the fan community, like those things, you know, really function very similarly. And in some ways, comics are the easiest thing in that bucket, but in some ways are also the hardest thing in that, uh, <laughs> in that bucket. And so being able to kind of find the, the sweet spot here with comics, I think, you know, creates a really interesting doorway and a pathway to other media. And I think the other kind of major difference between what we're doing and many other platforms out there is, you know, we are very, very, very creator first. I mean, we're creators ourselves. And so, you know, we work with all the people that we work with on the platform to make sure that, number one, they're treated very fairly and, you know, well compensated for what they're doing. But also, you know, we help them make sure that the rights are maintained as much as possible. You know, we are able to help kind of shepherd things into people's hands in Hollywood and those sorts of things and making sure that those deals are, you know, kind of looked at fairly and that they understand what they're getting into and so you know the more we can develop this kind of longer term pipeline for all these different uh, properties you know that the, the more i think we can help everybody win nice yeah, yeah. Have, have you gotten any interest from i'm not gonna say the big two but like the yeah the big five <laughs> companies um because yeah. it, it's not just dc and marvel anymore you also got yeah image and idw and uh dark horse uh, boom and, and, and boom uh yeah from any of the the larger yeah you know, so we we've had we've had a couple of conversations i mean we honestly haven't even tried to uh, approach marvel and dc at this point i think you know, as much as I consider myself, especially a Marvel fan, no, no, uh, not to disparage DC, but you know, those are, that's the stuff I mostly grew up on. Um, you know, I think that, uh, we have intentionally kind of stayed out of the superhero game for the most part. I think, you know, they do it just about as well as it can be done, you know, to, to, to debate, debatable degrees. Um, but I think, you know, the market is pretty crowded for superhero comics and superhero universes. And I remember the, the graveyard of comic companies that have tried to start up to compete with Marvel and DC. So I think for our purposes and, you know, it's better to kind of focus somewhere else and kind of let them fight it out <laughs> in the, in, in the secret wars there. Um, so, you know, we haven't really thought about them as much. We have had a couple of conversations with a few of the other, you know, companies that you've named. Um, and so there are a couple of things that we're working on, which we can't announce yet, unfortunately. But I think, you know, you will see some stuff with a couple of those other publishers. Okay. 
Um, I will say that the thing that is actually the most exciting to me, though, looking at the full landscape of the comics industry is that while I grew up going to the comic store every Wednesday and you know have treasured memories, you know, doing that. I don't think the next generation of fans is going to have that experience in the same way. And so, you know, again, kind of looking at my kids, especially, and I like to give my daughter the chief futurist hat in the company, just watching the way that she consumes <laughs> content. You know, I'm, we're trying to build something that is both appealing to the kind of existing reader because we think we make great content and have great, you know, bring great content onto the app but also kind of mirrors the behaviors and the patterns of, you know, kind of where we think this is all going with the way that people discover things that they love and kind of the next generation of franchises. And so I think it's important to kind of be, you know, looking at both of those avenues. And so, you know, to kind of bring it back to your question, you know, the, the big five, so to speak, you know, yes, like that is the comic store market, but the comics market itself has grown, you know, way beyond that. And, you know, while I have a lot of objections around kind of the way Webtoons operates, you know, as far as creators and, you know, things, you know, that, that are a little challenging from the creator side, there's no question they've built the biggest audience for comics on the planet. You know, like Webtoons has a hundred million monthly active users right now at 9 billion page views last year. Um, you know, a lot of that content is not necessarily my cup of tea, but a huge audience disagrees with me <laughs> for, <laughs> you know, where they want to read and consume comics content. The other right. thing which is really interesting is, you know, the combination of, you know, the YA bookstore market is the other kind of biggest growing segment of the comics industry. And what I think is kind of fascinating about that is these are largely new characters, new creators, you know, new things that, you know, the next generation of readers is kind of falling in love with. And then you've got the whole Kickstarter phenomenon, which is, you know, hundreds of creators that are now able to directly connect with an audience and, you know, directly support themselves, you know, by, by going that route. And so I think the avenues for finding and supporting kind of the next great things, um, kind of an image 2.0 in some ways that, you know, exists outside of the traditional industry, but is kind of where the growth is, um, is also pretty interesting to me. Um, just going back briefly sorry, yeah. there to interject, um, <laughs> in the old, in all your long boxes, yeah. favorite Marvel title. And why is it Howard the duck? <laughs> I had to, Man, I had it's to, it's Howard the duck. It's Howard the duck. Um, <laughs> now this is probably an answer you get a lot, but I, I was a Superman kid initially, um, and then I discovered Marvel, you know, as many people do, I think, you know, in, in, I'd say 12 ish was where I really became a Marvel zombie. Um, and, uh, it was definitely picking stuff up, stuff up off the spinner racks and at the grocery store before I found my first comic store. So, you know, spotty runs for quite a while there. Yep. Um, but you know, there were some early, kind of around the, you know, kind of Phoenix era, Phoenix, Dark Phoenix saga era, X-Men titles that just completely got me hooked on X-Men. So I think, you know, X-Men is is probably still my favorite Marvel title of all time. And I've probably the Good stuff choice. that I have, probably the stuff I have the most complete runs of that just that, that 
you know, there was some magic that they captured in that era all the way through Genosha and, you know, the Mark Silvestri era into the, you know, Jim Lee relaunch and, you know, all of that stuff that was just magic. And I was there for every minute of it, bought every X book for a while. I just was totally, totally down. So you were a, a big Chris Claremont fan then? At the time, I certainly was. It's, it's, uh, right. you know, I, I have a, I, as a writer myself now, I have a slightly different feeling about some of that stuff, but I still can't, <laughs> can't get away from the nostalgia of it. It's, uh, yeah, you know, there's just so much good stuff that happened in that era. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, and then I have to say, like, in that same time period, like, I did also fall in love with, you know, indie comics and that, you know, when I started going to the comic store, I was lucky enough to get to a, a couple of comic stores that had, pretty good representation of, of especially the kind of late eighties, uh, indie scene. And so I, you know, I really vividly remember having the chance to buy Ninja Turtles number one and not buying it and then regretting it deeply by, I you know, the same. <laughs> <laughs> With where I was at. I, I, yep. I ended up getting that, like a fifth edition. Yeah. We we didn't get it until my comic book store didn't get it to like issue three or four. Yeah, they passed yeah. on the first two, going, "Yeah, this isn't going to go." Yeah, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> word of mouth. I don't remember how yeah. I heard about it because this is all pre-internet. Totally. Yeah. For for us, like mm. there's this turtle turtle Ninja Turtles book out there. <laughs> yeah. Do y'all have it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're getting it. Is you get, <laughs> can you get the back issues? No, it's all sold out. <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah. There was so much good stuff in that era, which I, you yeah. know, I, I, yeah. I think this is this is the role that I think you know we're partly trying to play is like you know there's so much stuff that you know isn't as discoverable these days. I mean, Image, as much as I love what Image did for the comics industry, they also kind of killed that kind of truly indie creator on some level. Mm, yeah. You know, they were just so it was so interesting to go to the comic store at that age, at that time and go like, I don't know what I'm going to find, but it's probably going to be something that's going to be interesting or that I've never seen before. Or that's, you know, dealing with things that, you know, aren't being dealt with anywhere else. Like, I think right. you know, such a cool, such a cool moment, such a cool time. Outside of Turtles, what was your <laughs> favorite indie comic that you found? I have a weird soft spot for a series called Cat and Mouse. Um, I, I, I know Cat and Mouse. Mitch Mitch Bird was the creator of it, which I'm like pulling out of my uh, out of my brain here, like 30 years later. But um, yeah, so it was this black and white book, you know, kind of male and female ninja duo. Um, I thought really cool art style, and you know, as a as an art kid, I was certainly kind of looking mostly at kind of like who did I like that was drawing the the stuff. That was you know definitely what I was picking stuff up based on. But I, I was really into that for a while, and then somewhere in there, I discovered manga and anime as well. And Appleseed has a real special place in my heart for those mm -hmm. early days. Yeah, yeah. Now, remember remember how big ninjas were back then? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were everywhere. Movies yeah. even American yeah. Ninja, American and then like Ninja. right right after Ninja Turtles, you also got uh, uh, adolescent black belts, um, radioactive hamsters. I believe. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yep. yeah. <laughs> now, if I if I'm remembering right, Cat and Mouse was by Malibu Comics. Um, I don't think so. I think it was by Eclipse. I could be wrong, but I thought it was uh, thought it was Eclipse. 
but I certainly could be wrong. This is this is old memories. Even though I do still have those issues somewhere. Uh, checking because the name sounds familiar. I know the name. I know the comic. Yeah, I, I just found it. Let's see. It's um, oh, it's actually uh, Aerosol Comics. So true, true indie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah mitch mitch bird b-y-r-d yeah i used to love that one i was gonna say yeah we may know the editor behind (laughs) this amazing um and that would be a guy by the name of shoot just forgot his name (laughs) roland roland oh yeah yeah his name sounds familiar to me i don't know but it sounds familiar uh and he is now one of the owners of um Silverline Comics and has brought back Cat and Mouse. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. I need to check that out. So uh, let me double check. I'm assuming it's listed on here on their site. Maybe not. <laughs> um, oh, looks like it. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. We, I'm gonna check that out. That makes me happy. <laughs> uh, we have interviewed Roland a couple times here and a couple times over on my Marvel podcast, Mighty Marvel Geeks. Yeah. And cool. I would say definitely reach out to him. Uh, yeah. he, he may be someone uh, with his group uh, with all the different titles that they're doing over on Silverline. And he, he's doing a lot of stuff to uh, with independent artists and newcomers. Yeah. Um, he that may be another group to look at for because yeah. they're they're doing a lot of stuff, you know, like cat and mouse. Um, that is not superhero, traditional superhero ish. Yeah. And totally. I think would be per. Not not trying to say how Macroverse should do things, but I think it would sure. be a perfect fit. Um, yeah, because I know yeah. I know he's always looking to branch out um, with things. Because um, he was saying Cat and Mouse almost got a movie deal. Yeah, um, but it ended up going Men in Black first, and that was with Malibu Comics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take a look. That's awesome. I I love the fact that they're rebooting it. That's uh, that's that's yeah. been something I've thought about a few times over the years. <laughs> well, someone's got you there. Someone got me there. Absolutely. It's one, it one of the people behind it too. So yeah, um, very cool. Great, great place to start. Yeah, it's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, very cool. What's been some of the highlights so far of of Macroverse or your yeah, in creating Macroverse. That's a great question. So, I mean, the you know, the the as we were figuring out the format, the the series, the the TV pilot that we wrote, that got killed by the Walking Dead, is called Dead Town, and uh, it's this kind of neo noir. Um, also has been also has zombies in it, which is why it got killed by the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, my little soapbox about this is like you know there could be a million vampire shows, but at the time there could only be one zombie show. Um, but it's, it's this neo-noir, you know, series it's in, it's actually the kind of initial concept was like, what if you took the modern kind of effects that we have, but shot it in a style where it looked like a 1940s, you know, black and white noir movie. Um, and, uh, sort of like, sort of like a Sin City twist. Sort of. So this is like even pre-Sin City when we were, you know. Before not not Sin City movies, but pre Sin City, yeah, pre Sin City movies, not comics. You know, at the time, I'm a big Sin City fan as well, by the way. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I think you know, it, just, it had this really cool kind of visual aesthetic to it. Our take on the zombie world was like, let's do this where it's it, it's really not about the zombies. It's actually a world where people have kind of learned to live with the fact that this is the world that they live in, and so it's more about how do you 
navigate this you know city which has been cut off from the rest of the the world we don't really know what's happening outside the world but how does this kind of civilization react to you know what is now the kind of status quo in this you know zombie universe um so you know it's very cool in my opinion very cool idea so when we were figuring out the format for the the app that was where we started we reconceived it as a comic series and so you can actually read the first season of that on the app as well very cool um and we've got the, an incredible artist that we brought on board for it named Stephen Perkins, who just, you know, absolutely captures the, the look and feel of it. Um, but, you know, that was a highlight because it let us kind of bring this thing to life that we had been wanting to do for quite a while. And that's where we did all of our R&D on kind of figuring out this tap story format and, you know, how does it work and how to use it and kind of a lot of experimentation around that. Um, and then I'd say, you know, when we went from the first version of the app, which was just that series, to then starting to bring on other creators, like that was a very exciting moment. I think when we when we launched version two of the app, we had 10 different titles, you know, and we, we did that at LA Comic Con, which was a lot of fun. Fun, um, and kind of showing people like this new format and you know what we could do with it um, and then I think you know from there it's the all of it has to do with the incredible talent that we've gotten to work with so I think you know when people think indie comics they sometimes think um, you know for lack of a better way to say it kind of amateur comics and I think we've done a in my opinion, very good job of curating some of the best of the best of just independent creators who are choosing to be independent, not because they can't go do stuff other where other places, but because they, you know, have the kind of burning desire to do their own thing. Right. Um, so, you know, one of one of the examples of that is another series on there called Remind, which I cannot recommend highly enough. It's a kind of Miyazaki-esque, um, you know, graphic novel series by a creator named Jason Brubaker. Uh, Jason was a, a concept artist at DreamWorks on the Kung Fu Panda movies, um, an early webcomic success story, early Kickstarter comic success story. You know, he's raised close to $800,000 through his various Kickstarters, his cool. self-published, you know, eight hardcover graphic novels at this point. They're all fantastic. Um, and getting to know him and work with him and become the exclusive digital home for his content, you know, like that's been a a major highlight of this experience is just, you know, people like him, you know, being able to kind of provide a, an outlet for the incredible work that they do as both a, um, artist myself and, you know, someone that loves this medium, you know, that's been just an incredible joy to be able to be a part of. Very cool. Yeah. Um, go ahead, I was going to say, so do you have any, anything, um, that you, have on the app or that you want to work on personally on the app for comics or anything? Yeah. So dead town is, you know, myself and Adam, who we talked about, you know, we write, we, we created that, we write it. Um, and then, uh, we've got, you know, several other series that we've been working on ourselves as well as kind of overseeing all the other content that comes in. Um, and then the other piece of the, you know, the, the web three part of it, which we talked about, which again, I think this is, a little kind of under the web three umbrella, but it's really just a different way of thinking about the fan experience and how people can participate, you know, in these different stories and worlds. So one of the things that we've done over the past 18 months is work with a community of fans and creators and collaborators to allow people from the world that would normally be thought of as like fan fiction to allow those things to become, you know, real stories within some of these universes. And so there's a whole methodology that we've developed where we teach some basic fundamental storytelling classes 
let people, you know, have characters in these worlds. This, they pitch ideas with those characters, and then a certain number of them get greenlit into short stories that live in these different worlds. So we've, we've done that with Dead Town. We've done that with a few others. Um, and uh, so we get this kind of anthology story, you know, series that's actually coming from the fan base at the same time that we're creating the main series. Um, so that's been a lot of fun to kind of figure out how that works and then be able to let people kind of become creators from the from the fandom. Hey, Derek, I know, you're, cool. I know you're a big writer or an aspiring writer on your side. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you got something there for a couple of podcasters. <laughs> Happy to talk more about that. Yeah, <laughs> just just saying, Derek, opportunity. <laughs> something you may know. <laughs> True. Yeah, so that's I mean, that has been a lot of fun because I, I think about, you know, my my first Comic Con was uh, Dragon Con when I was 14 in Atlanta. And uh, I, I remember you know being at the Marvel booth and just I just this recurring thought of like, you know, if they had said to me, hey, you got any ideas for Spider-Man? Like you could not have gotten me to shut up at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, yeah, being right. able to kind of figure out how to actually make that something that can become real, I think is very, very cool. Um, that's awesome. That's yeah. Um, trying to think what else uh, I have now there, I, I got so much going on. Um, what was the ultimate, uh, end game or, yeah. or, or the, the mountaintop? Yeah, for sure. For, so for I mean, the way, where we really do see this going is into a multi-format, you know, media studio. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is, this is a little bit of a unique element for us as co-founders between myself and Adam and Ricky, we really have made every type of media you can point a finger at. So, you know, whether we're talking about comics or animation or film and television or games, like we've actually made it and not just written a check for it, but like been in the trenches, <laughs> you know, in the, the, in the editing room over the late nights, you know, putting the production teams together, figuring out budgets, like, you know, this is stuff we know how to do. And so I think that's a, a little unique in this industry where, you know, we can actually really see how those pieces come together over time to go, how do you take something, launch it as a comic, not, and I, this is a very important distinction, not making comics in order to make movies or shows or, you know, something else, but how do you treat the comics as a first class citizen in this world, this ecosystem of content that we ultimately want to develop. And so this is, you know, this is a, a soapbox of mine for the last decade is I think people have the wrong, in many cases, the wrong approach to, you know, how do you take something from a comic and turn it into a TV show or a movie? Sometimes it works beautifully. I love the boys, for example, but largely the approach has been adaptation. So I take it from this medium. I tell the same story in another medium. And I think that, you know, our approach and the way we try to think about things is what is this bigger universe that we want to create here? What are the different types of storylines that can exist inside this universe? And then what story is specifically intentionally created for the medium that we're delivering it in? So the story that we're doing for Dead Town in the comics is not the TV show story. It's not the game story. It's not the audio series story. We know what all those pieces are. But the intention is the comics experience is designed intentionally to be the best version of a comic in this world that it can possibly be. The TV show does different things that TV is meant to do, you know, so forth and so on. So we, we think about these things as big franchises. And even though we're starting with comics as our launch pad, as our focal point, as a way to get a lot of these things out there in front of people, um, 
that's the larger end game is to to have a different kind of studio that builds things from the bottom up that builds it with the fans that builds it with the creators you know very intentionally and that as this grows into other media you know it's not just us you know signing a contract with somebody and going like you know hey maybe we'll send you a check one day um but it's you know bringing everybody along you know for the ride from the beginning now with something like this would you need something similar to like what Lucasfilm has for Star Wars with the story group where, okay, they're doing this in the comics. They're doing this in TV. They're doing this for film just to help keep timeline storylines that way. Ultimately. Yes. I mean, don't get messed up. Yeah. If you get to the scale of like the MCU or, you know, Star Wars and, you know, hopefully we will like, but at that point, yes, you need that kind of, you know, brain trust to kind of keep those things together. I think at this point, the way we approach it is, you know, I'll use that dead town as an example. You know, we have a 90 page story Bible for dead town so that we know internally, these are the different storylines. Here's how they connect. This is the, you know, when we work with creators and artists, we can kind of take the pieces that they need to know in order to be able to, you know, understand how there might be some Easter eggs that show up later down the road and, you know, so forth and so on. So we kind of treat it that way at this point. Um, and then, uh, you know, as it grows, then yes, you know, there'll, there'll be more, more, uh, more details (laughs) to track. (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. But yes, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun all the way around. You know, we're getting to getting to kind of play in this in these playgrounds that, uh, yeah, I, I could only have dreamt of when I was fourteen. So, <laughs> yeah, I like all this. It sounds it sounds um, it sounds like a good way to go, a good way to do it. I think so. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a trainer the next about three days this week at work <laughs> which means someone else is running shows majority of the time so on breaks i don't have to think about things yeah so i'm gonna be thinking about macroverse excellent next gen <laughs> comics app that you can find Indeed. on your Indeed. app stores android or ios yeah 100 yes And, and I will say, you know, so yeah, I mean, for you guys, as well as anyone listening, like we love feedback. So, I mean, if there's, yeah, if you, if you check out the app and you have things that, you know, you want to let us know that you think could be better or that you love, like, you know, we love all of that. And if you are interested in kind of finding out what we're doing on the creator side or, you know, how to participate in the, you know, storytelling piece that we do and those sorts of things, most of that happens on our discord server, which is discord.gg slash macroverse. Um, so, you know, everyone is welcome there and, you know, there's a, a pretty fantastic little group of people there right now and kind of growing as the, as the whole ecosystem grows. I'm heading to go join Discord now. Excellent. <laughs> um, it's good to hear that you do have an, a nice fan base built already. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great core group. And I think a lot of that, again, has to go back to the the credit for the different creators that we work with. You know, just, you know, they're amazing and they've got their own fans. And so we're able to kind of bring a lot of people together you know, under this uh Inside the macroverse, let's say. Um, <laughs> I am looking on y'all's website now. And y'all have yes. a few projects coming soon outside yep. of Dead Town. What, yeah, are, so the, what are these projects yeah. are you looking forward to the most? Oh, man, you're, you're making me pick favorite children. Um, <laughs> well, I would so say the, top three. That yeah. would still leave one out, unfortunately. <laughs> four I can't listed. leave one out. 
what I what I'll do instead is give you the quick pitch on why I love each of them really quickly. So, so if you go to macroverse.com, this is the launch of the Web three platform. So this is there's two sides to our ecosystem right now. There's the Web two side, which is the mobile app, and then there's the Web three side, which is this web platform, which is coming in a couple uh, months. And over the course of the the next year, these will get fully integrated. But right now, they're kind of two separate elements. So they're related but distinct in the sense that the collectible side of things is happening on the web platform, the you know kind of easy access, you know, reading experience, subscription app is on the on the uh, on your digital you know app stores. Um, so those two will come together, but right now they're again distinct related services. Um, the five series that we're launching the collectible platform with Deadtown that we talked about. Darkland, which is this dark, twisted, black comedy think succession meets Game of Thrones in hell um, with kind of the voice of Veep thrown in for good measure. Um, <laughs> so really fun. It's from the uh, producer of Portlandia. Uh, this was a, a TV project that he had that we've turned into this comic series, which we just absolutely love. Um, it's got this kind of amazing kind of anime style, which wouldn't um, initially feel like the right thing, but the combination is actually pretty fantastic. Um, and uh, if you like things like Sandman or um uh, good omens like these are, are you know you'll like this series if you like those things um love love darkland um hex 11 i cannot sing the praises of enough so hex 11 is blade runner meets harry potter uh the the basic concept the basic concept is if magic was a technology that you could download um then what kind of a interesting world does that create and it's this incredible mythology uh lisa k weber who does the art for it is i mean she could be working on any title at marvel tomorrow like she is just unbelievably talented and uh this labor of love is you know truly like the best of the best of indie comics um so hex 11 uh, phenomenal series. Uh, Remind, we talked a little bit about this is Jason Brubaker, who was the you know, concept artist at uh, DreamWorks. Um, you know, again, Miyazaki-esque, you know, beautiful, all ages, you know, just phenomenal story. It's about uh, brain swapping um, lizards, uh, lizard people, under, underwater lizard people that uh, have, the, have developed the ability to swap their brains with uh, other creatures and hijinks ensue, to say the least. Um, <laughs> very, very cool. cool. Um, and then, uh, and then finally, uh, Bushido's, which is a project, which is the kind of the newest of that batch, which is a kind of sci-fi samurai epic, uh, series. So this takes place on a distant planet where essentially this group of, um, you know, what, what kind of feel like samurai, uh, go off on this thousand year mission to colonize a distant planet. And by the time they get there, everything has changed and they're struggling with, you know, should they be this invading force or should they be this kind of force for good? And then, you know, some massive event happens on the planet where they have to really reconcile, you know, kind of who they are as they're dealing with a, a earth or in this case, planet ending uh, event. Um, so lots of action adventure fun to be had there as well. So it's just five titles, which I absolutely love and uh I'm incredibly proud to be putting them out very cool Derek. you have very any other questions um not that i can think of at the moment then 
I'm going to do, we've hit that point where we do like we do every time we have a guest. We're going to flip the tables. We're going to allow, yes. allow Eben to ask us a couple questions. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, I first want to say, I'm going to reverse it and say, uh, what is your favorite first Marvel title and then indie title in the, in the collection? Uh, my first, my first favorite Mar well, my favorite Marvel title that's in my collection is uh, the old Star Wars Volume One mm. from '77. Yeah. yeah, but was not the first comic I got. As my dogs are going nuts <laughs> in the background. Uh, the first They're comic excited I, about Star Wars. Who wouldn't be? Uh, <laughs> my, the first comic I got, truthfully, that I remember buying Marvel wise was from back when I was in first grade from a scholastic bookstore mm. book club, little flyers. And it was the Spider-Man comic that was tied into electric company. Yeah. Oh, I have some of those as well. Yep. Absolutely. So absolutely love those. Yeah. Um, but you know, going up to my grandmother's, I pick up Batman. I pick up some, some justice league. Mm -hmm. um, I remember at times picking up some green arrow, green lantern, but I really didn't start I mean, Spinner Racks, um, it, it was Marvel Star Wars was the majority of it um, yeah. that I, I definitely had to collect. Yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, George Perez and Mar um, Marv Wolfman. Yes. Um, with New Teen Titans. And yeah, yeah. I stuck with it, even when it changed slightly to Tales of the, teen t the New Teen Titans mm. up until Perez left. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good. Good pick. Indie wise, I think it, it was Turtles it was the first one yeah. that really turned me towards indie books. Yep, I think they did. They did that for a lot of us. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my favorite Marvel. That's oh, a tricky one. Um, I've always been partial to uh, Spider-Man, of course. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I've always been a big fan of Ghost Rider as well. Mm -hmm. So I love the Ghost Rider books. Um, and I went through uh, I went through a couple different phases. Like there was a there was a time where I was reading mostly DC when I was younger, but then I switched over to Marvel, and I've been you know a big Marvel fan ever since. Um, I used to love the uh, the Justice League books when it was the Justice League International. Yeah, with yeah. the uh, all the different groups and the and the it had more of a somewhat comedic tone to it sometimes oh, it was fun then yep. love that um, kevin mcguire love, love yep. that yes exactly yep kevin yeah. mcguire um and uh, as far as indie books go of course you know uh, of course i love the turtles the original turtles book is great uh, i love usagi ujimbo yes, yeah, yeah. um there was a book called badger that i used to love i um, know badger well love that uh, as well. <laughs> excellent night <laughs> yep yeah, so, um, and I, I used to pick up all anything that had like a ninja on it. I used to love, yeah, or samurai. Well, yeah, another another big indie book, but it was done under um, Marvel's creator line under their Epic line. Yeah, was uh, Sergio Argano's oh, Gru. Gru. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My first uh, San Diego Comic Con, I ended up riding around with uh, Sergio a little bit, and uh, oh, nice! Quite a character, and you can see number one why his stuff is so funny because it's just him. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And then I remember talking to him a little bit about like all his Mad Magazine, you know, all the little teeny, uh, you know, strips in the corners of Mad Magazine, which are also just so cool. The, the, the margin, yeah. the margin strips. Yeah, the margin stars. Yeah, so so great. Love that stuff. Um, okay, cool. Then uh, let me ask you, what is we we do this thing where we um, you know have a, a term that Adam coined called the Hujima flip, which I think of as the British what you call it, which is basically just top of mind thing in geek culture. You know, what are you in? What have you been the most into recently, or kind of the most excited about either the comic or movie or TV show, or kind of like what's what's top of mind for kind of the thing you can't wait for the next incarnation over the next episode of for for me it is definitely um partially a lot of it's because of the podcasts different podcasts and a good chunk of it is also uh because of the opportunities i have at work Mm -hmm. um star wars and marvel any of the star wars marvel projects or or anything um lucasfilm like i Mm -hmm. i can't i personally cannot wait for the for the new indiana jones film Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and that comes from being a employee of the Walt Disney company, um, you know, here at Walt Disney world at one, of the, you know, working in entertainment in one of the parks. Yeah. So yeah. Anything, anything Lucasfilm tied or, or Marvel tied. I I'm really, you're, you're yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. What about you, Derek? Well, um, I think the next, the next thing I'm really looking forward to and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this but I'm actually looking forward to the Flash movie mm-hmm. and um, it's funny because I don't like Ezra Miller's Flash I didn't like yeah. him in Justice League and, and I'm not a, you know but they they won me over with the trailers they convinced me that I might actually enjoy this movie so yeah, yeah. I cannot believe that I'm <laughs> saying that but they Michael got, Keaton. I know that's the thing, yeah, man. I, I think the, the Michael Keaton Batman, I think, gets gets all of us at a, yeah. a particular <laughs> nostalgia level, which is hard. It's hard to uh, not be excited. I know. About. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you there. I'm. Uh, I was not excited about it until they started talking about the the multi multi Batman part yeah. of it. And I'm like, yeah. This is the Batman they, movie. They just call it, they're just calling it the Flash. I'm down. <laughs> and even then, I wasn't I wasn't even uh, that excited until I actually saw footage of it, and I'm like, it's yes. real. Yes, yeah. exactly. For for me, with with Flash, you know, hearing that oh, the first Flash movie was going to be Flashpoint, based around yeah. Flashpoint. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to go there now? Yeah, yeah. But since. Also a real gift for uh, James Gunn running, you know, DC. Yeah. You know, like, here's my reset button. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm very, I'm very yeah. interested to see um, how his stuff's going to go. Yeah. Well, I was going to yeah, say, this, this is the last film that's not under gun control, right? right. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, well, Blue Beetle, I guess, technically as well, but. This is right. Aquaman, right? Yeah, yeah that's New true. Yeah, so Aquaman, yeah. Blue Beetle, and, and this. Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah. yeah. A blue those beetle those I'm excited bad. to see as well. Yeah, that, looks that doesn't look too bad. That looks that looks pretty good. Yeah. I think it could be fun. I, I finally just I mean I can't my geek credibility has definitely gone down since having kids. So I yeah, you know, I just saw Spider Verse yesterday. Oh uh, I haven't seen that yet. Can't believe I mean it's astonishing. I absolutely loved it. I, I think my daughter and I are gonna see it uh next week. Yeah. Well I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And I think, you know, from a 
I mean, I think they did a, a knocks it out of the park from a, a story standpoint, in my opinion. But I also just think like we are in this unbelievable golden age of CG, you know, kind of what you can do with 3D animation based mm-hmm. largely on the original Spider-Verse, where I mean, this one is just visually mind blowing that they are you know able to make a movie that looks like this yeah. is you know, absolutely astonishing um so i I love the fact that we're seeing more experiments with you know stuff that as much as i have loved pixar movies doesn't look like pixar stuff (laughs) experimenting with like the look and style of these things in new ways um you know speaking of lucasfilm i don't know if you guys have seen the star wars visions uh you know Mm -hmm. series but it's like Season two in particular, like, I think they just, you know, really, I mean, I loved all the anime stuff in season one, but this one's like every episode has such a unique feeling and look yeah, and style. Yeah. I, just, I love that. I love that. We, we, we talked about it on um, a few episodes ago on yeah. Wookiee Radio, and um, it, I had similar feelings for season two as I did with season one. Yeah. Uh, season one, I enjoyed majority of the episodes. Uh, there were a few, yeah. I was like, okay, I, I didn't know this episode. Or yeah. I don't know the studio. Yeah, not bad. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if just because of this episode, I'm going to go check out more of their work. Uh, yeah. With season yeah. two, it was like studios that I have seen stuff before and absolutely loved. I'm like, yeah. Oh, y'all dropped the ball. <laughs> and then other other studio, you know, a few other studios that I'm like, okay, I, I'm not expecting the best. It's like, wow. wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. y'all picked up the ball on this one. Can y'all continue <laughs> yeah. this outside yeah. of the Star Wars verse and stay on this and y'all yeah. will be somewhere. Yeah. And then there were some that's like, yep, this is exactly what I expected. Yeah, yeah. So Very. yeah. 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 I, I like that we live in this land this era of the anthology format being something that's viable in a in a way no. that it you know, maybe hasn't been for a while. Like, you know, Love Death and Robots and Vision. Yes. Oh. Like, I love anthologies. Love yeah. them. Yeah, it's very, it's very fun. Um, just, just to break the reverse in the tables real quick. What's <laughs> your opinion on on the AI stuff? Um, complicated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I have two two schools of thought here. One is, you know, I've spoken to several of the creators that we work with, and there are, you know, you've seen this reflected across social media. I'm sure there's. Um, you know, there's a big contingent of creators who are either very anti, um, and there's, I think a lot of creators who are anti or not as vocal about it, who are just scared. Um, you know, I talked to one of our creators who I adore and he's got a really amazing series coming out with us later, uh, this year. And, and he, he admitted, he's like, you know, I've spent 15 years getting a particular level of skill. And, you know, now someone can just go type, you know, a handful of words and generate something that's kind of the same. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's a little scary. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a couple of schools of thought. And I think this is the there's a harsh bit of advice that I have for some creators around this, which is if you're a low to mid level production person, you got two options because I do think those are the people that are going to get replaced the quickest um, across every creative industry. So I think you have two options if you're a kind of low to mid-level production person. Number one is 
get really good at using this tool and give yourself a promotion. And then if you're a, if you're a mid tier concept artist, make yourself a creative director. Like you no longer have to wait for someone else to give you that permission, but you got to be the person that can direct what's going to happen visually or kind of where things are going to go. Cause you're going to lose the job. That's just, I sit at my computer and make, you know, mid tier production art all day long. Right. Um, yeah, you know, so I think that's just a reality, and I hate that for people on some level. But I think like you can't stick your head in the sand and hope that it's not going to happen because it is going to happen. Um, so I think there's that piece of it, and then I think the other side of it is you know I've actually played with these tools a lot because I do fundamentally think they are tools. And while it's a little scary how quickly everything is moving, I'm also old enough to remember you know when Photoshop came out the rhetoric around Photoshop replacing artists is almost the exact same, you know, almost, you know, almost, almost like take quote marks and people would think you're talking about AI. Um, (laughs) So I think there's some, I think there is some additional validity to what's happening now, but I think you are always going to need human direction to, you know, create something new. And this is the thing that we see, um, playing with with like ChatGPT as writers, you know myself and my and Adam is largely my writing partner. Um, you know what we've been doing is actually using ChatGPT to put our kind of initial ideas in around things, see what it comes back with, and then go. That's the thing we can't do because it's the obvious thing. And so I think what it's really good at is making something that seems yeah. well constructed. But if you really are, you know, if you want to do something new and fresh, it can't do that yet. And so it may get to a point where it can, but at the moment it certainly can't. So I think it's a great tool to actually kind of check, you know, your own instincts against to go like, is this just the amalgamation of a bunch of other people's ideas or is this actually (laughs) something new? (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, it's, again, it's complicated. I think, you know, I, I, I think people have to be careful of wishing and hoping that it's going to go away because it's a hundred percent not going to go away. So I think that all of our challenge as creative people is how do we use these tools? How do we learn these tools? How do we integrate them into our own workflow and how do we make ourselves more valuable because of them, not less valuable because of them. Um, And, you know, being, being scared of it, even if you are scared of it, I think is unfortunately not a, a, a good path for people to you know be on and then there's the whole will it take over the world and kill us all part of the conversation which <laughs> is perhaps a little more concerning <laughs> yeah well yeah well once that t100 shows up at my door i'm not worried about it <laughs> exactly so you know i my um you know adam is in the the director's guild and you know of course the writers are on strike right now and you know all of that stuff is happening as well and you know it's very interesting kind of the ai conversation happening just around hollywood in general as well and i think weirdly people may not realize i think it's the actors who have the most to fear in the short term um you know from some of these tools because you can do you know voiceover right now you can do you know very convincing deep fakes right now so i mean a lot of this stuff is you know i i I think this is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity for the unions to put some rules in place because three years down the road it's gonna be too late so i think uh yeah, it's very it's a very yeah. interesting time to be living in and through, no question. So sorry to derail, but back to uh, No, no, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's an interesting part of the equation because I you know it's very much a 
you know, some things about it, which I think are amazing and awesome. And some things about it, which certainly have not been figured out. And I think we're just, it's, it's hard for us as humans to adapt as quickly as some of these things are happening. You know, it's, it's a very interesting, you know, period to be, uh, to be figuring out how to navigate for sure. Yeah. (laughs) But I think a good topic also, um, in, in, in flipping the tables, what's, what are your takes on it? Um, for me, I'm even, even though I'm an audio engineer and I don't have, it, it's not going to affect me as much because mm-hmm. the production still has to be done. Yeah. Um, I am still, you know, because of all the friends that we have, including our one co-host, who's a, a, um, a stuntman as well, mm-hmm. who has the SAG card. I'm, I'm concerned what's going to happen with, with the actors yeah, uh, and, and even with the writers, because, yeah. you know, you put in your plot points, boom, and it's yeah. going to create the scripts. It's like, yeah. Oh, okay. A little, little worried, a little concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, having, having played with it enough to try to test some of those waters, you know, in, in a real environment of trying to make stuff, I, I don't think it's there to create anything great, but I think it's a pretty bad screenwriter right now. And there are enough <laughs> bad movies and shows that get made that I think it's, <laughs> it's a very legitimate concern. Yeah. And I think the biggest, the biggest concern is just knowing how CEOs and big companies sometimes operate, which is, you know, Hey, if it's cheaper and we can do it you know, right. easier and don't prioritize the creative, you know, it'd be a shame to go from what, I think is unquestionably kind of a golden age of television and content to something that everything is just kind of eh, <laughs> over right. the next you know, decade. Um, Cause what it can't do is innovate. And I think that's the real, you know, that's going to be the real challenge over the next period of time is like, it's very good. It, give, give it a hundred episodes of the X-Files. It probably can give you a hundred more that are, pretty x file um, right, right. not going to come up with something, you know, that you've never seen before that isn't, you know, is mind blowing in a way that, you know, I think does require some kind of human ingenuity. Um, so what worries me about that though, is um, if people would, will accept it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because some, some, I mean, there's, there's, I'm sorry, but there are some people with some bad taste out there. That oh, like no, no, no. Dude, I'm sitting right here. I know. <laughs> you, 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 you guys always knock me over Howard the Duck. But then again, so is my daughter. So I'm a fan of Howard. I'll go with you there. Yeah. But, but um, sometimes audiences have the tendencies to, to accept. The, I mean, if you look. Like if you look at the Transformers movies, mm-hmm. they made seven of those. Now eight of those, and they're not all the best, you know. Overall, in my yeah. opinion, um, but people went to, or you know, so there might be a there might be a uh, there might be a market for some of the some of the uh, stuff made by AI that's not innovative or or you know. Just the same typical stuff. I think there unquestionably is. I mean, that's that's kind of the sad piece. Is I, I think there unquestionably is a market for some of that, and then it just becomes a question of you know, can we protect you know places right. that 
need to get protected. And, and I think, yeah, one, I, I was listening to something with one of the people on the WGA negotiating committee, and he said it in a way that I thought was really insightful, which is it's not just about the quality of the writing in the case of the writers, um, but it's also like the reality of production is like just having a script is just the beginning. <laughs> and so right, right. You know, it's one thing to be able to have a script that looks good or sounds good, but then you have to be able to go on set with 100 people and answer questions, you know, every day about what did you mean when you wrote this? And, you know, how should I, should I say it this way or that way? And like, that's where you actually need someone who understands what was written to be able to make those choices and decisions. So it's, it's going to be a, I mean, I feel like we're going to have a little comedy of errors in some of this stuff where, you know, you see stuff that does get kind of generated by AI and then kind of falls down into very bizarre, you know, end product, which we'll all get to, Mm. in some cases marvel at and in some cases go like oh my gosh there's a interesting <laughs> <laughs> why just why yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i, I again i you know I, I keep bringing them up but it's you know i have a, I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and i'm just you know this world that they are growing up in is you know it is science fiction to uh to so many ways um but for them it won't be so it's just such a fascinating Again, yeah, such a fun time. Yeah, it's like the the speaking of kids, all all the videos that they have now they're so popular. Uh, yeah, of people playing video games. Yeah, like yeah. watching people play video yeah. games, it just blows my mind. Yeah, because <laughs> to me, I'm like, I'd rather be playing the game than yeah. watching somebody play the game. But yeah. Yeah. but they love it. Like, <laughs> like super popular. <laughs> The only yeah. time I'm I'm watching is if I'm stuck in the area. It's like okay, right, yeah. I I now have a video to show me yeah. the walkthrough. And right. I don't have to worry about trying to go and find out is there a walkthrough book or someone do a full write up yes, walkthrough yeah. of it. Yeah. Just just show me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They watch it for fun. Just people playing games. Yeah, I can't do that. I can't either. I, I, I tried looking at Twitch and some of the people. It's like, oh, you're gaming? Yeah, no, I'd rather watch you talk and not play yeah. a game than, than play a game. Yeah. I'd rather be playing along as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, that is I think, a generational thing. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, just across the board, any final questions? Um. No, <laughs> it's been a really fun conversation, but any final questions for me? I, I was going to add my final question was going to be, where can we find you and Macroverse online? Yes. Well, thank you for asking that one. So, uh, yeah, please download the app. The app is on iOS and Android. It's, you know, if you search Macroverse, you'll definitely find it. And as you said, it's Macroverse Next Gen Comics. Um, you know, it is a $5 a month subscription. So, you know, this does direct go to support the creators on the app so you know keep that in mind if you're deciding you know to to jump in um so you know our our whole goal here is to prove a better monetization model for creators while incredible content for fans and readers so it's it's a direct relationship between those two things so check out the app and we'd love all kinds of feedback positive or negative or you know around it um if you're interested in the collectible and web3 side of what we're doing then macroverse.com is the place to go there's two things you can do there right now you can see a, a little bit of a preview of some of the stuff that's coming that we talked about uh there's a direct link into the discord which is where most of that activity is happening around the launch of the platform as well as the 
creative side of what we do. So again, that's discord.gg slash macroverse. And then as far as social media goes, you know, I am most active on Twitter. So I'm at Ebenverse um, and Macroverse is at Macroverse, just, you know, same one word. Uh, so, you know, you'll see lots of sneak previews and, you know, upcoming things that we're doing on those two channels, um, including some, uh, as we talk about live streaming, I don't live game, but I do occasionally do live stream illustration streams and stuff oh, like cool. that. So see, that, interesting. that I can watch. You can yeah. see do some of that <laughs> that i can watch yeah no problem. so having some fun, fun um so yeah so twitter discord macroverse.com and the apps on the app store excellent well thank you for for joining us this week yeah it was a blast um definitely learned a lot uh definitely i'm gonna go check out as much as i can before subscribing to macroverse on the macroverse next gen comics app um, wonderful so, yeah, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, really a pleasure talking to both of you. And, you know, I think the last thing we should say is we be geeks. And yes, on, we. And on that <laughs> note. So, um... The bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production. There is that fine line between genius and madness.